Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Backstage With, taking you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with John McCree, the star of Everybody's Talking About Jamie. John created the role of Jamie in the first workshop in 2014. He's now playing it in the West End after the production transferred from Sheffield. I went to meet John at the Apollo Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue last week. One of the things we talked about was how he was feeling about saying goodbye to his onstage mother, Josie Walker, who left the show at the weekend. Here's our conversation. John McCree, welcome mm. to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. First of all, congratulations on the show. I saw it back in February mm. and then again at the cinema last week. Mm. And you just get better and better. Oh, thank and you. the show as well, it's just, you leave feeling uplifted mm. and wonderful. And yeah. it's just, it's such a lovely experience. We're approaching a cast change for you. Are, that's yes. going to change things up a bit. It is, yeah, but in, in a good way. Um, obviously, it's scary to think that you create these um, chemistries on stage, especially with like, so Josie Walker, who plays my mum, is leaving. And um, we've been together since the very first workshop about four years ago now. So I haven't really had any experience doing it with anybody else. Um, and it's going to be strange, but it's always exciting. And then the guy that plays Loco Chanel, Phil, is leaving as well. But they've sort of actually, I'm quite lucky with the Loco Chanel stuff because they sort of rejigged the scene slightly, which is rare in musical theatres once, yeah. once the sort of show's locked down. But it's nice to just have a fresh take on a scene and make it a bit more concise and get to the point a bit quicker. Um, and it keeps you as the actor on your toes because you can't fall into the same thing. It's like when an understudy's on, you can't do, you can't just sail through doing exactly the same thing because there's a new energy on stage. So there's a new concentration level required, and I that's I work well that way. How did the uh, the development process begin four years ago for you? For me, um, they were just they were auditioning for the very first workshop. It was just a week's workshop. Um, there was not really any staging required. Um, we were just going to sort of read the scripts work on the scenes and um, sing the songs but do a very very small presentation at the end of the week to people and yeah I just I was a it's a weird story but I didn't have an agent at the time and my friend who worked at an agency got the breakdown through and was like oh I think you'd be good at this and yeah sent it to me and I mean that has just catapulted this whole thing so it's very serendipitous and, and um, wild to think that I, that could have just completely passed me by. But yeah, so I started with the very first workshop and I was lucky that they never got rid of me. They always kept me every time they sort of revisited it. And it just kept getting better and better. And I was quite green when I did the first workshop in 2014. I was probably about 22. Um, and I remember thinking, this is perfect. This is ready to go on stage right now. And then we re we we read we redid it a year later, and I was like, oh my god, it's gotten even better. I don't know how they do it, and it just kept, it just seems like that keeps going, um, which is really exciting. How much has the show changed since day one? Massively for me, I think. Um, not so much for some other people. Um, I remember in the very first draft of it, Jamie was a lot 
more self-assured and a lot sassier. In fact, a lot of the lines that Dean now has, you know, when he sort of makes fun of people or makes fun of the teacher and he's very cheeky, they were originally Jamie. And I think they made a really great decision to sort of make him less self-assured because if someone seems like they've got it so together, it's hard to um, sympathise with them, I guess, when they do have trouble. Um, and then even after we did it in Sheffield, they added three new songs for me and changed some stuff. So it's it's ever-changing and it's ever-growing. But that's only my specific journey and trajectory as a character. I can't quite remember everybody else. <laughs> Egotistical, selfish actor, wasn't concentrating on anybody <laughs> else's stuff. But yeah, it constantly changed for me. And, and there were always changes I really welcomed because it's fun to... to change things and learn new stuff about a character that you think you know a lot about already. It's a very 2018 kind of show, mm. and in that way it was ahead of its time four years ago. Yeah. Um, but in terms of representation, it's quite a big contrast to some of the other shows that we've got in town, like Take the King and I, for example, mm. that that's been called problematic mm. because of the writing from the 50s that mm. hasn't been updated. Do you think there is a place for all of these kind of shows? Or do you think something like a Rodgers and Hammerstein's piece should be updated to reflect modern values? Um, see, I don't know, because I actually went to see The King and I, and actually, a lot of the Rodgers and Hammerstein pieces, I think, are really ahead of their time in a feminist way. The female characters and protagonists are not the usual female that you would think of in the 50s or in the 60s or the 70s. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's also something to say for classic work and whether you change it or not, because this is now very 2018, but God knows what could happen in 20 years. And, you know, would this piece stay the same if it was revived or would it... Because really what was interesting was when Jamie went to school prom in a dress, the real Jamie, that was way ahead of his time. It was before Drag Race and stuff like that. And so we could have gone, well, it's not really an issue anymore, so let's not do it. You know, people love RuPaul, Drag Race is becoming mainstream, so is this story really relevant? And I think you have to stick to your guns. And I get blown away when I see Rogers and Hammerstein's pieces. Um, I was in The Sound of Music when I was a child, um, and I think maybe that's a sentimentality thing for me, but they are classic but and maybe they are problematic and I think it's great that we have conversations about it but I don't know if you can necessarily chop and change it but then again when you look at something like Carousel um, when you know Billy is originally a white man and then becomes a black man and it's does that make a statement does it not I mean I think there are there are conversations to be had but I don't know if anybody's necessarily entitled to say whether something should change or not. I think it's down to the creatives involved. If they go, well, let's give it a go, let's change it, good for them. If they decide to stay the same, they stay the same. You know, just go and see it if you want to, don't if you don't. <laughs> I agree. I think sometimes critics and, and people criticise things way too easily when actually something that might be a little bit out of date... Mm you know, you can use that as a measure of how things have changed and people who weren't around there exactly. now go, oh my God, it was really like that. Use it as like a teachable moment. Um, and and it's that thing of separating the art from the artists and whatnot. I think it's down to the people involved. We can see how hard you're working on that stage <laughs> every night. There's a huge amount of stamina. Mm. How did you train for the role before you started? And how do you maintain that level of fitness now? Um, I was a bitch in rehearsals, I think, with myself. Um, I never took the heels off, really. 
um, even if I didn't really need to wear them, I was wearing them. Um, I used to come in early and sing songs and, and dance at the same time and maybe jog and do some aerobics at the same time because it's necessary for the... But it all started in rehearsals. I didn't really do anything pre-rehearsals. But I remember Josie, who played who plays my mum in it, she was in Matilda, and there's a huge number in that called Loud. And I remember her saying, I just had to really nail it every day to get myself up to that point. So it was sort of that boot camp of, um, of stuff. But we had a wonderful choreographer, Kate Prince, who was very collaborative. And I actually, you know, I would, sometimes I would shy away from the dance stuff of it because it's not my biggest love in the world. But she really sort of encourages you to try new things. And actually, some of the stuff that I dreaded the most became my favourite stuff to do now. But yeah, it is stamina, but it's being an athlete. It's not, you know, you can't abuse your body or your voice. You have to take it seriously. But luckily, you know, I'm sort of surrounded by people who feel the same way. So, you know, there's that encouragement from all parties. We know that Jamie and his mum are based on real people. Mm. How did you approach your character? Did you meet up with Jamie and chat before you developed your Jamie or did you sort of step away? No, yeah, we um, we just made a conscious decision not to watch the documentary during the first workshop. I'd seen it when it was first on but um, then I knew I was approaching the role and um, luckily I couldn't really find it anywhere anyway but I don't think I wanted to watch it and then I didn't watch it and then we did a lot of work during the workshops and stuff and I didn't meet Jamie until we knew it was going to Sheffield and we'd sort of done the majority of the character work. So my Jamie is, he's not, he's based on Jamie Campbell and the events are based on Jamie Campbell and we found out that there are many parallels but we didn't know about them so all of my character work was sort of is sort of stuff I just did with with myself and with the director and um, with the other actors um, and then and then when we met them we found out that there it was apparently very similar but life imitating art, but we didn't know that. So, and I'm glad because I never wanted to do an imitation of him because I don't think you can do good work that way or do any the work justice because he is very specific. Um, so it would have been easy to do sort of a characterization of, of what you see on this 45 minute documentary, but we needed so much more um, internal stuff from him. And obviously you never know how a person feels unless you speak to them. But I wanted to work it out for myself. Um, and also, you know, a lot of this stuff changed. She's from County Durham. We put it into Sheffield. And um, we meet my dad in the play, which we never hear or see Jamie's dad in the documentary. So we had to take artistic license with, with certain characters. Is that why Jamie's drag name in real life is different to Jamie's drag name in the show? I don't know, actually. Yeah, probably. Um, obviously, ours is um, a big sort of gag at the end of that one. Um, I never really... I, never I only found that out yesterday when yeah. I was just reading up and it's, uh, so it was, his is uh, Fifi La True or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I went, oh. Um, and actually, I think probably our, our J- my, my Jamie doesn't ever <laughs> use me, me, me again once um, he goes to prom because he really, I think, he sort of discovers a different side of himself. Um, and I, watching Drag Race, I like those drag queens that have their own name and that sort of don't, because he's, he's, I don't think he, you know, I think maybe for Jamie, I can't speak for him, but it's a character, whereas I think ours actually, you can see that our, the character that I start to create becomes very problematic. 
um, in his environment. So it's good that he probably shies away from it in the end. Yeah, and I suppose in the story it's about self-discovery rather exactly. than becoming someone else. It's about saying, why can't I go to school prom in a dress as a boy? Why is that a problem? Would I have to become this female impersonator to do so? Um, and it's a very limited view on what females are anyway. So, um, yeah, it's about self-discovery from every character. Everyone finds a truer version of themselves through the show. We just see it from Jamie's perspective, but you could really pinpoint any character, and I mean absolutely any character, out from the class or the drag queens, and they would be going through some sort of version of the same thing because all humans are, especially all 16-year-olds. They're all going, what the am I going to do next, you know? And um, so I think that's what's interesting about the piece, and I think that's why it speaks to everybody, because, yes, Jamie is niche, and he's a, he wants to be a drag queen, and a lot of people would go, well, how do I relate to that? But if you come and see it, you'll find aspects of him that you do relate to and aspects of everybody that you relate to. What's wonderful is the amount of, you know, mums or parents we have in the audience that really relate to the mum character or, you know, or lots of kids, actually, that when when they hear Josie sing He's My Boy and they come and see us at stage door afterwards, they go, God, you know, they see what a mother goes through when the child's not there and they go, I want to call my mum, I want to bring her to the show. And So even the kids connect to the parent aspect of it, which I think is beautiful. What sort of things have parents said once they've seen that scene? Oh, I've got to come back with my son or, you know, my daughter or just, you know, they just... Um, do you think they find it cathartic? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think in many ways, they're either going through it with the 16-year-olds or they're dreading going through it because the kid's about 13, 14. Or they've got enough perspective on it to go, God, you know, I went through that and luckily our relationship's so much clearer now. Um, I don't get a huge amount of feedback from, from the parents. I get more from the kids, but um, I know that Josie gets quite a lot and it's always quite touching and lovely. The chemistry you and Josie have on stage is just electric. How did you develop that bond? Um, well, we're great friends, I think, and also it was um, really lucky to be involved from the same point, so I think we always felt like we were sort of in it together. And actually, if you look at it sort of logistically they're not on stage f together that many times um, they have very short scenes together so it really, it's really important to build that chemistry off stage or sort of bring it into the moments where they're not really saying anything to each other because it's, it's the job of the actor to create that bond um, if it's not necessarily all there in the script you know, I find that true for a lot of the, um, a lot of the relationships in the piece because there's a lot of history there and actually we were lucky to sort of all feel like we were going through something very particular with the workshops and then taking it to Sheffield and then finding it came out, came to London. The majority of the cast were, were a unit for that whole journey. And so... Um, <laughs> what is that? That's a, I believe that's the toilet next door. Oh, lovely. Um, uh, yeah, and so we all, we all sort of felt like we were going through the same thing and it's so specific to create a piece of work that all of that stuff can't help but connect you in very profound ways but yeah I mean I think friendship is technically at the bottom of it me and Josie get on very well and she is very maternal as a person um, and I think we both 
get on as John and Josie and that helps us as Jamie and Jamie and Margaret because I can't again I can't speak for Josie but I know I'm very different to Jamie so it, it helps to have a relationship outside of the work yeah you've been playing this role for such a long time mm-hmm. in, in various forms how how do you go out there and keep it fresh and keep it honest and not go oh I've got to sing this bloody song again um, I'm lucky because actually a lot of um, I because I know the character so well, I have a lot of leeway with little tiny bits of changes here, there and everywhere every night. Never anything to the script. I'd never change a line or a line in a song or movement, all that stuff. But there are just little tiny glances or noises or that, that you can change that keep it fresh. And, and, you know, that's the same with the people you're playing with. It would seem like I've been playing it for a long time, but actually, you know, the workshops were just a week out of a year. So... Um, I think it's your job to keep it fresh and keep it exciting and actually not go, oh, God, I don't want to go to work because, you know, you could always go and work somewhere else if you don't enjoy it anymore. And luckily, it's a fresh piece. I love the, I love singing the music every night. Is not, there a bit that, that you really look forward to that when you get there, you're like, yeah, I'm going to revel two. in this? Act 2, I really enjoy. From Act 2 onwards, my, my entrance in Act 2 is quite iconic. Um, I love it. And... Um, actually sort of portraying the serious side of Jamie after having such a fun act one for everybody I don't know if anybody necessarily sees it coming Um, and so it's always nice to sort of really try and gear people off into different places as in the audience because I think they grow to love Jamie hopefully (laughs) I hope so at the end of act one and then you kind of I kind of want them to sort of not like him a bit and then feel sorry for him and then love him again um, and that's a challenge and that's I th- so I find that really exciting he becomes a bit of a monster and I think brave actors really get to the root of that because humans are not perfect as you know as a being we are not perfect and I think everybody would love to be the hero of the story for ages and just do n- do no wrong I don't think actually anyone in our stories perfect because no one in life is so I think it's far more fun to me to really sort of aggravate the audience a little bit and as much as they can enjoy him because they know he's he's harmless you can sort of see him sort of swaying off into into some bad habits which hopefully they sit there and go oh no don't do that because um we like you and we don't want you to be an idiot yeah that's my favorite I love act one as well but act two is definitely my favorite is it is it liberating to get to ugly in this ugly world and just let rip yeah totally because um that's really where we where he's there from the beginning he's there in act one when he sings wall in my head he actually all the ugly stuff is somewhere in the air but he decides he's the wall in my head is about him sort of pushing it down and claiming it and going okay fine i know it's there Ugly is my favourite song in the show, which is a song that was added after Sheffield. It wasn't in the first production. We needed it. We so needed it. And actually to think that we didn't have it before was heinous, but it's so liberating to get there. And actually there's there's like four scenes in a row in which I just go from one to the other to the other to the other. And it sort of starts in the teacher's office and ends with Ugly going into the mum and saying just some unspeakable things and slamming the door and walking out. And actually, you know, it's nice to have that sort of um, rolling of the ball rolling to get there. You know, you don't have to sort of come off, come into the scene clean. Um, 
which is which is really helpful and it's all part of really just really tapping into his his inner deepest darkest self-loathing about himself and actually he becomes an ugly person and he says some stuff to his mum that's sort of unforgivable but I remember being like that when I was 16 I mean I never said I never I was never as horrible I don't think but you know um there are certain things that you can't ever get over and he's so hurt by what he's just found out that ugly is definitely I think warranted as a song and I think a lot of us in our teenage years have have been through those feelings where you look in the mirror and you just criticize totally I, mean, I don't know if it necessarily ever ends I think you have to be a really strong person to not be self-critical about it and actually I've always found one of the hardest things about this job and one of the hardest things about training in this profession is that you have to constantly look in the mirror and it's just not natural to look in the mirror that much in a day and when we're rehearsing and we've got these huge mirrors in front of us I think oh this is horrible you know you can't really I don't like mirrors you can't get lost in what you're supposed to be doing and then so that is actually the worst bit of the day for me is coming in and sort of looking in the mirror and getting myself ready and I don't know it's just not I just don't enjoy it when you were training mm. did you did you sort of have an idea about where you wanted your career to go or yes I did at the time um but I think I thought I sort of think I was aware enough to know that you very rarely get choice when you're starting out you kind of just have to do what you're given and luckily I was given gold um but I remember doing it when I was, I went to Sylvia Young when I was 12 to 16 and I loved it, I loved every bit of it, not so much dance but the singing and the acting and all of that stuff. And then when I got to college, I'll be honest, my passion for musical theatre really dimmed. Um, Why do you think that was? I don't know, I just, I guess I was probably smart enough to look out and say, I didn't necessarily know if there was a lot of roles available to me you know, I don't, I don't. I didn't really ever want to be in the chorus or the ensemble, and I know that might sound a bit egotistical, but I just don't think it's. It's um, not for everyone. No, and it's not creatively liberating for me as a person. I think. Um, I think I don't think I'd necessarily be happy, and I think if you choose a career, you need to be happy doing it. Otherwise, like I said earlier, you might as well go and do something else. Then again, I don't know, I've never done it, so I'm not sure. But yeah, I think that's probably why. It was a lot of factors. It kind of knocked the wind out of me a bit. And I wanted to focus more on the acting, I think. And I think maybe I'm still on that trajectory now because this has been so specific a journey and so specific a role and a musical. It's pop music and that's what I enjoy singing. I'm still looking out into the ether of what we call the West End and going what could I do after this I don't really think there is anything um, whereas there, the possibilities are far wider in plays and television and film I mean naturally because they're bigger industries but then again saying that I am only 25 and I'm not in a position to be too picky so I will I will just see what happens when you leave Jamie behind mm. how will you look back on this experience mm. Um, I think I need a year or two to get real perspective on it but it will always be life changing and positive and um, beautiful and um, I think it's I'm hoping it'll still be going when I leave so that 
there's a part of me that is there's a romantic idea about having your work immortalised and letting somebody else do it and take take what they want from it and have their own say about it um, I will always look back with very fond memories I think it's one of those things it won't I know because I've been so embedded in it for so long that it won't feel real that it's over until maybe a year after or I'll just expect it to pick up again at some point because it's been like that for the last four years. It's been like, it'll come and it'll go and it'll come and it'll go. So I think it'll take me a year to realise that it's not coming back. What advice would you give to an incoming new Jamie New? Just have fun and take it seriously and try and learn something from it. It's for them to find out what they need to find out from it, I think. And every relationship on stage will always be so dependent on who you're on that stage with. Because it's not a singular entity, Jamie. He is only, he only survives with the people around him. You know, they will learn so much, whoever it is, um, from, from the people that they're working with, I think. But I would say that you'll probably never have a part like it again. And that is something to just try and try and remember every day, even though it is tough. Um, try and always remind yourself that it will probably never get better than that. Robert. Yeah, there's a film in the works. Mm-hmm. If an offer came in for Jamie on the big screen, would you do it? Um, I mean, that's not again. That's not in my hands. Like I said, I don't really have the um, luxury of choice this early in my career. Would you want to do it? Um, would I want to do it? I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like um, it, you can't. It will never be the same experience, and I wouldn't want to taint the experience I've just had by doing something else. There are aspects of my career that I'm thinking going forward. I don't want to be pigeonholed as this character for too long. That's and understandable. Perhaps immortalizing yourself on film is not the best decision. Also, a film is a very, very different, not me, not only medium to theatre, but they are really, I know because I'm close to the writer, they are really working, they're reworking a lot of the stuff and finding delicacies within it and um, changing character choices and stuff. The plot will essentially stay exactly the same, but it will be very, very different to this show. And this show, I believe, is partly... Mine. I'm very um, territorial of it, and I don't have any right to be territorial over something else. Company is coming in September with gender flip. Yeah. You know, if you could pick any female role in a gender flipped mm. production of a musical or a play, what character would you choose? Um, I'd like to play Hedda Gabler. I think. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Why is so, that? Uh, I don't know. I think she's such a tricky. It's, that, it's sort of that um, thing I was talking about with Act Two, is the ugliness of a person um, and being brave enough to do that and not necessarily needing to be liked by the audience. Um, it's very dark, isn't it? But I think it's a wonderful, wonderfully written role and actually I really connect to a lot of female roles because, and that's not me saying I want... I want them, don't worry, ladies. I'm aware that <laughs> they need to be given to you. Um, but... There, the what the roles that do really speak to women when there weren't that many are magnificent, and that's why everybody wanted to do them because there was no choice. You know, we're still only just getting there now for female roles, especially female roles over a certain, you know, over the ingenue age, and it's really important to keep writing those roles. 
Um, but yeah, Head is just such an such a beautifully written, wonderful, complicated contradiction of a person. I don't necessarily even know if you need to make a comment on whether you flip the gender or not, or flip the genders around that character because, you know, what's to say it can't just be a man? Well, if we've learned anything from Jamie, why does it matter? Exactly. I and mean, with um, Glenda Jackson doing King Lear on Broadway, you beautiful. know. Yeah, I mean, just just take it on. I mean, I'm really interested in gender fluidity in roles, especially, like I say, for women, because until there are a mass of cho- of choice for women, I mean, I'm more than happy to throw out. And actually, there are some ma- some male roles that I think everybody wants to play, and I just don't know. So, I, like I say, I just connect more to the female roles, I think. So hopefully we'll get to a point where we'll keep swapping and changing, and actually it will become less of a problem because you've still got you've still got you know idiots commenting on the bloody daily mail saying oh god feminists ruin everything men can't have anything and it's like oh please get over yourself you know it's theatre it's not a big deal and it's for everybody to share exactly maybe one day we'll have a female Jamie who knows (laughs) that'd be great yeah Uh, well thank you so much you're welcome for coping with the heat and the sweltering room thank you thank you for having me Everybody's Talking About Jamie is currently bucking until April 2019. To make sure you don't miss the next episode of Backstage With, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up to date on Twitter at Backstage underscore with. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mikey Worrell, with thanks to John McCree, Tess Shannon and the team at Joe Allen PR, and What Goes On Media. Thanks for listening. Listening.